we know that God actually like showed up in the person of Jesus? I mean, that's what we believe, right? As Christian people, we believe that God entered humanity in the person of Jesus, that God took on flesh, the fancy word for that, the incarnation, right? That this eternal, non-contingent spirit being took on flesh and we got to see God walk around to the point where Jesus once told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, you've seen God. And that's what Christmas is all about, and that's the celebration. But then sometimes life becomes life, and we've got to go back to that question. How, how do we know that God is really around? How do we know that he's like here, right? How do we know that he's in our homes and in our marriages and in our, our hearts and in our workplaces and in our church? Like, how do we know that God is there? What I want to talk to you guys, guys about this morning is a bit of, a, a bit of that, the answer to the question, just a small part, because there's a lot of ways that we can answer that question of how do we know that God has shown up, right? Sometimes you know God showed up because miracles take place, right? <laughs> it's like, wow, the, you know, wow, this miracle took place, and that was obviously God, and so we know that God showed up because there was this miracle showed up. Sometimes we know God showed up because... Uh, well, we got disciplined for something, <laughs> or we felt that heavy conviction. We felt the weight of our sin, and we felt the weight of how we were not really living up to the expectations that God has for his people, and we feel that kind of weight, and we know that God is here because he's loving us enough to tell us that we need to grow, and we need to move forward, and we need to mature. He loves us enough to say that we've been caught in <laughs> that weight of being caught, Sometimes we know God because there's a reassuring joy. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about this morning is this idea that the arrival of Jesus brings the joyous stability of a child. I think that that's what joy does. Joy is stable. Joy is not this exuberance. That's praise. That's thanksgiving. That's a lot of things. But joy is more stabilizing. Joy usually shows up at times of instability, times of question, times of doubt, times of struggle, but yet there's this present joy. And that's what we find in this passage this morning in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, working ourselves through verse 56, we discover first of all that joy is discovered in times of limited understanding. We look at our circumstances and we think, I really don't understand what this means. I don't understand what God is doing. I don't understand how God is moving. I know He is. I know He is. But I don't really know how. <laughs> and it was clear to Mary at the announcement given to her by the angel Gabriel, it was clear what God was doing. And He explained it to her. He told her what He was going to do. And it was overwhelming for Mary that God was present because he had actually sent an angel to minister to her, to announce to her, to instruct her, to tell her the details of what God is doing, but yet she was puzzled. She was puzzled by the obvious. And sometimes I think that that's where you and I are, where God comes to us and he tries to explain to us what he's, what he's doing. He's trying to move, move in our life and he's trying to direct circumstances, but yet we feel like God is ignoring the obvious. You ever feel like God is ignoring the obvious in your life? That's the way Mary kind of felt. 
Notice that the, the uncertainty was the context of joy. Excuse me, the uncertain context of joy stems from a focus on our own limitations. Whenever God comes to you and says, I'm going to do this in your life. I'm going to help you grow to this point or I'm going to remove this struggle that you've always had. What do we tend to do? We tend to look at our own limitations and we tend to say, okay, God, um, that's nice and all. That sounds like a good plan. That sounds like a neat kind of thing for you to do, but you know who you're talking to here, right, God? Like, you, you know my own limitations. And for some reason, really, we're really good at looking at our own limitations and ignoring the unlimited nature of God. And that's what happens with Mary. Start with me, please, in verse 26. In the sixth month of the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from the city, or excuse me, from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. There's his presence, right? <laughs> the Lord's with you. I'm showing up. I'm here. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. Sometimes God's presence troubles us, doesn't it? I know it has me. When God showed up in powerful ways in my life, sometimes I get a little nervous. So he said to her, Do not be afraid. Greetings, O favored one. <laughs> Sorry, I went. Got ahead of myself. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. Boy, what, what clear instruction. Don't you wish God always spoke that clearly? This is what I'm doing. Don't be afraid. I, it's, it's fine. I'm, I'm going to do this, then this, then this. And God is giving her multiple steps forward in the plan. And I read this and I get a little envious because I'm like, Lord, you've never done that for me. And his response probably is because you couldn't handle it. <laughs> but notice what she then says. Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Where was her focus? Her own limitation, right? And that's like, that's the obvious elephant in the room. I mean, some of our limitations are, aren't so obvious, but this one for her was, she, if she comes and God says, hey, you're going to have a baby, uh, never really been with a man before, so I, I'm, I'm engaged, but you know, we don't do that until we're married. And so this joyous occasion, this history changing, the redirection. Do you know that, that Christmas, this, this season that we celebrate, redirected humanity? The entire course of human history was shifted at the arrival of Jesus. And that God was fulfilling all that he had promised for more than 1,500 years. Isn't that amazing? Yet so much like a human, well, how can this be? How can this be? And so many of us never move past that moment with God. So many of us just stay right in that uncertain moment. We never look past our own limitations to the promises of God, and we simply say, well, how can this be because of me? 
And then we just kind of live there. We give up on God and we quit. We don't move forward and step into what God has for us because we're too focused on our own limitations and we're too focused on the uncertainties. Even though God has given her more direction and more details than he gives most of the people in Scripture and most of the people probably sitting in this room or watching online. So how was she supposed to experience this joy? To experience the joy of the Lord, we must surrender to the will and power of God. So we're going to have to say, I realize that I'm limited. I realize that I have my stuff. But I have to surrender that limitation to the will and the power of God. And that is tricky for us human beings, isn't it? It's hard for me. This is really hard. <laughs> I think that's one of the biggest things that you and I have to deal with with God is our own limitation. Oh, you probably have plenty of faith in God. Sometimes my faith in God gets me in trouble with Him. Because sometimes I get frustrated with God because I know He can do things that are limited, are limitless. What He can do is just beyond my imagination. But yet sometimes God doesn't move in those ways and sometimes we're left kind of struggling with our own humanity. So it's not, my faith struggles are not related to God's any way that I feel like he's limited. My struggle with God is, God, you could do whatever you want. Why don't you fix this? <laughs> right? That's, that's my struggle with God. So what did Mary have to do? Verse 35 shows us how she began to look past her own limitation, and surrender that to the will and power of God. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is, was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now notice what the angel did there for Mary. This was fantastic what he did. He pointed to a promise that God had given before, and then he gives her a human example. He says, I can bring life where there is no life. And that is a constant theme throughout the entire Scripture. God constantly is bringing life where there is no life. That's how he started <laughs> He did that with Abraham and Sarah. Remember, they had Isaac in their old age. and Isaac means laughter because when Sarah was told she was going to be with child, she just started laughing. That's how hideous it was. It was like that, that laugh that, where it's not funny, it's just ridiculous. It's so ridiculous that we're just going to laugh about it. And over and over and over again, you see barren women throughout the Old Testament, God giving them the ability to have children in their old age. God was setting the theme throughout all his promises to say, I bring life where there is no life. And then he gave her this human current example. He says, oh, even Elizabeth, who you know is way too old to be having kids while well, she's in her sixth month. So he gives her this human example. How many times do you and I need God to show up in a human example. I think we need a lot of that. I wish I could tell you today that when my faith is low and I'm discouraged or I'm looking at my own limitations, I wish that I could tell you that I, all I have to do is go read my Bible and say a prayer. And I'm just good after that. 
I wish I could tell you that, but that would be a lie because that's not the case. I do go to my scriptures and I do gain encouragement and insight from them, but then because I'm human, I also need some, like, some human stuff, right? And God knows that. And so God is constantly bringing people into our lives to move alongside us and be examples of what we need. Like we see what we need God to do in our own lives. We see him do it in other lives. And then we read our Bibles. We see him do it in other lives. And then you and I gain courage. And that's exactly what the angel is doing right here with Mary. And that God in his grace and his mercy is giving a human a human example of his divine power. And that is one of the reasons why we need to be in community with one another. Why solo Christianity doesn't work. <laughs> it's because we, we're humans and we need human. And we need God to act in ways that we can grasp and understand. Because the reality of the situation is he is way, way, way far beyond us. And we are way, 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 way <laughs> limited by our own weaknesses and hang-ups and humanity. And so we need each other, and we need God. I need God to move in your life, and you need God to move in mine. And together, as we share that, together as we journey, we can gain courage from one another by how God shows up in our lives. And so notice what she says. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That's where she had to go. She had to say, well, I'll just serve God. That's what I'm going to do. This is all weird. <laughs> this is, seems impossible. But I'm God's servant. And so she settled in there. And Maybe there's some things going on in your life today to where you need a human example. Maybe there's some things going on in your life today where things just seem kind of uncertain and impossible. And maybe a good place for you and I to land this Christmas season is to say God did come in human form. He did show up. And I'm just going to simply say that I'm his servant and may he do whatever it is he wants to do. That's, that's kind of a place where maybe you and I can find some peace and some joy. Even in the midst of circumstances that aren't really what we're asking for, because I don't think Mary ever would have asked for this. But this idea, something happens here in this that I think helps Mary that I just want to spend a moment with, and then we'll pick up the pace again. But this idea of joyful stability is rooted in Jesus as the Holy Son of God. I think that, that needs some explaining. <laughs> because when we start using this word son, we start to get all tied up with God. Are, we start to get all like kind of confused about who Jesus really was. And there's a lot of questions about the nature of Jesus and what was he really when he was here? Was he God? Was he a man? Did he leave some godness behind and was he only operating as a man? Was he fully human or just part? Like, what is the deal with this word son? How can we say that God, like, had a son? Well, well, where's his mom? Well, part of our Christian church would say it was Mary. Another part of our church, Christianity, would say, no, he doesn't have a mom. What? I've got a father. We get all tied up with this language, right? Because you and I know that if you have a son, that means you did something. 
duh, right? It means you and your wife came together and birthed a child. And that's your son. And you know that your son is not you. I know that my two sons are not me. So how can we say that a son and a father are the same? How can we say that they're the same person, the same entity? When we know darn well that my two sons are independent human beings in and of themselves. You see, whenever we start taking human language and try to describe God by it, you and I are in trouble. Whenever you and I say God is like, we're in trouble. Because we're not going to fully grasp all of this. There's going to be some space in between where we are and how much we understand. So I want to dive into this just for a moment and explain to you why the Bible would use this word son to describe Jesus, who is God in the flesh. Okay? And I know some of you right now, if you're, you're going to just like stop the recording if you're watching online, it's like, nope, that's too technical for me. Some of you right now in the room, you might be thinking, when's lunch? Hold on. This is an important theological idea. Because, and let me tell you why we have to dive in like this and why as your pastor I'm probably going to do more than this than what you're going to enjoy. I'm going to give you some things in the next few months that you're probably not going to enjoy, but that you're going to need. Look at this. Joyful stability is rooted in Jesus as the Holy Son of God. First of all, why is Jesus called holy and why is he called the Son of God? Because those two things don't go together. What? Do you know any son that's holy? Mm -mm. Notice the way that was written. He's called holy and son of God. Those are separate things. First of all, let's deal with the word holy. Holy means pure, without defect. Hmm. Any of your sons qualify? No. Any of you qualify? No. Any human being you know qualify? No. Hmm. Interesting. See, now the only way he can be holy, and they understood this in the first century, that the only being that is holy is God himself. And so if we're going to call this person holy, that must mean that person is God. They wouldn't have seen it any other way. Even one time when Jesus goes to a person that he's talking to, and Jesus tells the person, why do you call me good when we know that only God is good? No human was good. No human is, in essence, 100% good. That's another issue that we'll dive in that I'll bore you to death with later. Not today. But this word son, because so many people get tied up into this, to where we have a whole section of, of, a, of a religious sect called Je the Jehovah's Witness who don't believe that in the deity of Jesus. They don't believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. They believe that he was a created being. That he didn't exist before this Christmas, this first Christmas. But Christians don't believe that. We believe that Jesus is God. Jesus is the eternal. That Jesus doesn't have a beginning and doesn't have an end. That he wasn't born in the sense that we are. But we have all this human language to describe this. Well, this word son is pretty interesting because it can mean several things in the Bible. It can mean offspring. It could mean descendant. It could mean follower. All those ways the, the Bible uses the word son. So how is it used in this text? The immediate answer is in verse 35, where the angel says, and Jesus is called the Holy Son of God. 
and he shall be called the Holy Son of God. Well, how does that make any sense? Well, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 helps us understand how this makes sense. This brings it together. Tells us how is this word son used? The word son is used in the Bible not as, or excuse me, in regards to Jesus, not as descendant, not as follower, not as dependent, and not necessarily even offspring. But it is used in this way. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So the word son, in regards to Jesus, is that the son has the same nature as the father. So they are essentially the same, though Jesus is seen in a body. One way to say this is that God entered humanity and said, I'm going to put on a body so you could see me. But what's inside of me is essentially the eternal, everlasting, all-knowing, all-powerful, holy God. I know that blows your mind a little bit. But when you think about Jesus, and you think about how Jesus is supposed to be interacting in your life, and when you think about following Jesus, why would you ever follow him? There's only one reason why we would ever follow Jesus, and that is because in him all of the fullness of God dwells bodily. That's it and that's all. We don't follow Jesus because he makes our life easier. In fact, he told us that if we follow him, we're going to probably die for it, and we're probably going to be persecuted, and we're probably going to have to suffer, and if if we follow him, we're going to have to stop thinking about our own life and give our life away to other people. So we know that it's not because I follow Jesus because he gives me everything I want. No, that's that other dude that we talk about this time of year, and that's called Santa Claus, and he, spoiler alert, doesn't exist. (laughs) And so who are you following? Jesus or Santa Claus? Oh, you're going to say Jesus, but perhaps you want to spend some time with God and ask if you've confused the two. And perhaps I should as well, right? Because this person, this child, this Christ, this baby, is the Son of God, meaning, meaning that all the fullness of the deity of God dwells in a bodily form, and that's who lived a year of roughly 30, 35 years here on earth. And that, the arrival of that being, is who we celebrate this Christmas. It is that child the presence of Almighty God that will bring this stabilizing joy that you and I seek. When God comes to you and says, well, I'm going to do this or that, or I'm going to lead you here or lead you there, well, if I've got the stability of this child, that I've got all the fullness of God dwelling with me, well, then a focus on my own limitations would be foolish. Amen? Now let's move on. It's enough of that. Something easier to comprehend this morning. The confirmation now, when you're dealing with these kinds of things, and you're dealing with this idea where Mary and you and I have to come and say, well, I'm the servant of God. Now, how can we remain in that? Because you know as well as I do that as soon as we commit to being a servant of God, we've got all sorts of things coming against us. Discouragement, limitation, problems, 
all that. So how do we keep going? Well, here it is. Confirmation is often required to experience the joy of God's activity in our lives. And that's Mary's visit with Elizabeth, starting in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Did you catch that last verse? That's where I want to focus this morning. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So all of this crazy stuff going on. God knew that Mary needed another human to come and say, hey, what you heard from that angel is exactly right. You heard correctly. You you weren't dreaming. You weren't fantasizing. You didn't, you know, come into some bad mushrooms or something. No, that is really what you heard from God. She needed some human confirmation, and she got it. But then something else began to take place. And something else began to be given to her. And she then was able to explode in joy when she had that human confirmation. When she heard from an angel, I'm the servant of the Lord. Uh, But how's this going to work out? How's this going to happen? I'm going to go visit Elizabeth. She's still scared to death. She still doesn't know what in the wide world's going on. And then she gets this confirmation from another human and her heart explodes with joy. We, f- we call, we read this. First of all, joy for what God had done for her. She begins to sing this out. Some passages or some headings in your Bible might call this the song of Mary. And she said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. See, that sounds way different than, well, how's that going to happen because I'm a virgin? That's a total transformation of perspective from this is impossible to, wow, look at what God has done for me total difference what made the difference an angel no another human and some of you sit around thinking well I can't really be sure maybe if God would bring an angel to me no you don't need an angel you need another human we need each other we don't need an angel to show up at our bedside tonight we need help from each other we need to stick together And as the world becomes more and more and more and more divided, why would Satan ever divide humanity? Because he knows that it doesn't matter if an angel shows up and talks to you people and me. We just won't care. We will remain discouraged until when? Until we see God moving in another person like us. And then you and I will explode with joy. 
We read on in verse 50. It says, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty with their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Let's keep moving on. Just this text is beautiful. As she continues in verse 54. He has helped his servant in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoken, or excuse me, as he has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring, and and Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. Those last piece, those last two verses, let us know that not only did Mary, through this human interaction with, with Elizabeth, not only did she say, yes, God is moving in my life, but somehow her perspective grew to realize that everything from Abraham all the way through, so from Genesis all the way through the entire Old Testament, that she somehow knew that what God was currently doing in her life was fulfillment of all that they'd ever hoped for as a people. I mean, you talk about a shift. The angel shows up and she's making excuses about her own limitations. She sees God moving in someone's life that's like her, and all of a sudden she's got the whole Old Testament figured out. I mean, that is a shift. That is a change. That is a radical transformation. And those transformations are continued today. And God wants to do a miraculous work in your life and in my life. And we need to help each other get beyond the focus of our own limitations and help each other see the reality of what God is doing in our lives. The challenge then of this becomes for us that if we are to participate in the joyful joyful stability of Jesus, that we must too become children of God. So now let's go back to that word that I bored you to death with a few moments ago. That word son was used in regards to Jesus as all the fullness of God dwelling bodily. That's how he is the son. But how are you and I to be sons? Very quickly, Adam was called a son because he was created by God without father or mother. Israel as a nation was called called a son of God or children of God because he raised them out of Egypt. Jesus in Matthew 5.9 calls all those who make peace children of God. But then how are Christians, followers of Jesus, how are you and I called sons and daughters or children of God? Of God, Let me read two quick passages to you and then I'll quit. How are you and I to fo- supposed to function in this shared title? Because not only is Jesus God in the sense that I've described, but he is now calling us children of God as well. Well, how so? Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 15 read this way. Paul writes to the church in Rome, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according of the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you have put the deeds to the death of the body, you'll live. For all who were led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? Because you look at Jesus, Colossians 2.9, all of the fullness of God dwelt in a body. That's the Son of God. That's Jesus. Oh, but wait, it gets better than that because not only did God put all of his deity into this person, Jesus, but now we hear from Paul in Romans that you and I become places where God wants to put all of his spirit. That's what makes you a son of God. That's what makes you a child of God. 
when he comes to you and he places his spirit within inside of you and you become a human being indwelt by God Almighty. You see the similarity? I hope you do. I've explained it the best I could. <laughs> and then he goes on to say in verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom you cry, Daddy. <laughs> Interesting. But Jesus says, when I pray, I call him Father, inviting you into that same thing that you call him Father as well. And not only Father, but you get to call him Daddy, the most intimate phrase used in the Bible in referring from child to Father. Galatians chapter, two, chapter 3, verses 23 through 29 also help us understand this idea, where it says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. That's all the Old Testament. <laughs> imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. But then, the law was our guardian until Christ came. Notice the language. The law was our babysitter. Because <laughs> we're just little kids. Until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Now God's like saying, I'm removing the babysitter and it's me and you now. <laughs> Daddy's home, the babysitter's gone away. <laughs> and now it's us. And then he says, For as many of you are baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's nor male nor female, for all are one in Christ. And if we are Christ, then we are of Abraham's offspring Heirs according to the promise. The heirs of eternal life. You are given eternal life because you are a child of God. You are a child of God because of your faith in the Son of God who invited you into the same relationship. See, Christianity is much, 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 much bigger than you did something mad and made God mad. And if you don't say you're sorry and believe in what Jesus did, you're going to go to the hot place and burn forever. It's way more than that way more than that. It's God inviting you in. <laughs> and God removing everything in you that would cause you to be separated from him. And he's saying, I came and I became a human being. That in this person, Jesus, all of God dwelled in a human because that's been God's plan all along is to indwell in fellowship with humanity and to recreate all things through Jesus and through his children. Father, I pray today that you would help us because, Lord, we are so limited in our ability to understand the deep things of faith. We are so crippled by our lack of understanding that sometimes, Father, um, we don't look much like Christians at all. In fact, Lord, we are so limited in our understanding of the deep things of our faith that we can often be fooled to follow a Santa Claus and call him Jesus. And so I ask that we would repent of our simplicity and that we would want to move on to the deeper, more intimate things of our faith, that we would not be satisfied with knowing that you've said you forgive us, but that we would want to press on into a relationship where we called you our dad and move on into an intimate relationship with you to where you are infilling us 
and permeating our entire lives and radically changing us and helping us be like this person, Mary, that was once focused on her own limitations, even though she heard an announcement from an angel, but yet she exploded with joy. She understood what you had done throughout history. She had understood of what you said through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She understood what you had promised through Moses. She had understanding of what you had done through all of the prophets. And she now had understanding of what you were currently doing in her lifetime. And I pray, Father, that we would as well. And that we understand that the joy that we can experience in you shows up at times in uncertainty, and that's the context. And then we find confirmation through humans, and then we can operate as children. 